You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Hey, how we doing? Great to see everybody. Beautiful weather we're having out there. Um, hey guys, we are in deep in the Gospel of Matthew. Are you enjoying it? Good. It's, you should, because it's the gospel. Um, but I'm really, it's just so good to be a part of it as a community. Again, like, please don't let this be the only time we're reading Matthew. Just be steeped in it, marinating in it, uh, reading commentaries, listening to music about it. Jesse sent me a song that is all of the, the begets on the, uh, um, is Jesse in here? Oh, okay, if she ever gets in here, someone holler at me. She, there's a song by an artist that I forgot, but he literally sings a song through the, the um, Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Anyways, was it? Thank you. Oh, Jesse's husband, even perfect. Um, Andrew Peterson, yeah. Yeah, it's a, and it's just brilliant. So you can get as nerdy as you want, which is awesome, but it's just so good to do that as a community. So anyways, uh, let me just pray. Uh, not one last time, but just again, because we can't pray enough, um, and let's dive into it. So would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word, God, that part of our worship today um, in this building as a community is to sit under your word and to sit under your truth. Um, God, thank you that you have given us these stories. You have given us these insights um, into your son and into how you reveal and how your son reveals your character to us. Um, God, would you just help us know you more um, and to see you with fresh eyes today. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, so if you've been with us, um, kind of according to Matthew and how he's writing his gospel, he's revealing through Jesus this way of God, this kingdom of heaven, as he calls it. And this new kingdom of heaven, it is being revealed, but everything is kind of upside down through Jesus. We saw this last week in his baptism right? Everything's a little bit upside down. You're supposed to confess your sins and then pass through the waters and then come out the other side, that kind of thing. And Jesus had no sin. So he's actually bringing life into a process where he's saying, I'm going to bring life, but it will be through death. And we looked at that last week. If you missed it, you can go podcast it or whatever. But before he does anything on earth, or before we get into any crazy miracles or anything, Jesus is going through these two very symbolic journeys. The first we looked at last week through his baptism, and the second today is through the wilderness. And we made this graphic that you'll see up here where Jesus, or Matthew in the life of Jesus in the first seven chapters has kind of mirrored the journey of the Israelite people in the Exodus. And you'll see that we're kind of in the, we've just passed through baptism, which was an obvious hyperlink back to the Red Sea, and God um, freeing his people through that, and then now into the wilderness. And remember, Jesus is fulfilling this ark of Israel representing God's people, but where they fall short, he is doing it right. And he's also demonstrating to anyone who follows after him a life that is different than before, in a way that you don't have to keep getting on the crazy cycles of sin. Just like the Israelites were saved out of Egypt, passed through the waters of the Red Sea to now be made into the people of God they were meant to be, Jesus passed through baptism as a sinless man and now is sent into the desert to begin the second test. 
Because temptation here, this word for temptation, can also be translated tested. Jesus demonstrated his commitment to the Father and their great rescue plan in his baptism, representing bringing life through death. And now he's going to demonstrate through the next test what it means to die to self and find his identity in God. So let's get into it. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love that. <clears throat> Who wouldn't be, right? Like, I would, that's interesting. So how did Jesus get into the wilderness? He was led by the Spirit. <clears throat> now, just as way of like little group poll here, which kind of sounds more like common theology or belief on how God works? A, the Spirit of God will protect you from your darkest moments, and if you're a good Christian, nothing bad should ever happen to you. Or B, the Spirit of God might lead you to your darkest moments alone and isolated for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. Which one do we want? <laughs> A? Any A's? Yeah. Right. This was intentionally done by the Spirit for a purpose. Why the wilderness? Well, humanly, it doesn't sound great, right? It just sounds very desolate and rough. But this, again, Matthew is full of hyperlinks. These hyperlinks back to Old Testament, back to the journey of God's people and Christ fulfilling what was supposed to be. This is immediate nod and hyperlink back to Israel in the wilderness, the testing of Israel to prepare them for being God's people in this new promised land. Look at this, Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 6. This is Moses speaking to the people. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you. Your feet or your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For Matthew's audience, there are deep memories of stories being told here. The, the reminder that your ancestors didn't just survive the desert wanderings. The Lord your God led you in those 40 years in the wilderness. Why? That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. And in that story, Lord God, he provided over and over again, if you remember the story, with manna from heaven, from, from uh, quail, from meat, right? Water from a rock. And kept their physical bodies, their feet from not swelling. It kept them from failing. And what's fascinating, as soon as Matthew writes about wilderness, his readers and hearers would kind of have the vision of the Exodus, except there it was God who was testing the people, but here we're given a di different insight. Who is testing Jesus here? The devil, right? This is not just another exodus. It is, but this is also another Eden. The last time the devil got a sinless one alone and interacted with her was Eve in the garden. And we all know how that turned out. 
And now he's not dealing with a created being, but the beloved son of God, the Christ, the anointed one. So Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days and nights being tested by the devil to prepare him for his earthly ministry and to demonstrate the power that he brings from heaven to earth. So here's the test number one. Verse three, and the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Hey, remember, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and Matthew gives us the great insight that he was hungry. Now, fasting could be like a whole other sermon series on its own, but its basic form, fasting is the abstinence from food for the purpose of getting in touch with the deeper hunger of God's presence, for God's presence. So Jesus spent 40 days and nights immersed in the Trinitarian nature of his being that we saw in his baptism, deep in the presence of the Father, being led by the Spirit to prepare him for what he was about to endure. I don't think Jesus would have gone through all of that if these weren't hard temptations. Like sometimes, I don't know if you get caught in this, but you could read these temptations and be like, yeah, but he's Jesus. He couldn't really say no if he wanted to, right? But like he did all that to prepare himself for the hardest challenges here. If Matthew wanted to just tell us a good story and build us up about Jesus, he would have said like, yeah, Jesus showed up and every time, G- every time the devil like shot something at him, he just did a 360 flip and, you know, peaced out and like said, no, you know, he would have made it, he made it way cooler than I just did. But later in our scriptures, the writer of Hebrew actually tells us, and this is Hebrews 4.15, that Jesus was one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Just let that sink in. In every respect. Well, no, he didn't go through it. Yeah, he did. Well, he didn't have those thoughts. Yeah, he did. Right, but without sin. The devil isn't just trying to make him do stuff. He's pressing into Jesus's rights as son of God. Now listen, follow me for a second. The very small amount that we know about the devil, the Bible's not about the devil, okay? But the very small amount that we know of the devil, a former angel named Lucifer, he saw equality with God, something to be taken, and he went after it himself, but was cast down and out of God's presence. We get a little insight here from the prophet Isaiah when he's talking about kind of the evil character of the Babylonian king, but he talks about the influencer Satan, and this is how he describes Satan this way. Isaiah 14, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit." Satan here is asking Jesus to join him against the Almighty Father, to act upon the rights he has as the Son of God, to take his God powers into his own hands for his own needs, like he himself tried to do. The temptation here is, hey, use your power, fix it now. You don't have to go through this. You don't have to be hungry. You don't have to suffer. You actually have the power to alleviate your pain. Just make this rock a donut. You know you want to do this. 
And what does Jesus answer? Verse 4, he answers, it is written, he goes to the word, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That should sound familiar back in Deuteronomy 8. God led his people in the desert, and he will lead right now. This is the commitment Jesus is showing. He is the provider. Jesus' heart is more satisfied with doing the will of the Father than doing his own will. And later on in John's gospel, when his followers ask him about his own hunger, Jesus responds this way, John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So Jesus is all about it. So test number two, that one didn't work. Let's see what the devil can come up with now. Verse five, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So throughout our, our scriptures, we'll see this pattern, whereas the devil is, like, is called the father of lies. He doesn't tell the truth, but he can spin parts of the truth in a lie to make it sound like a whole truth in itself. So here we get what seems like Satan quoting scripture. Does anyone get struck like how wrong that feels? <laughs> Doesn't that feel weird? That feels wrong. And he kind of does, but he's misinterpreting Psalm 91. And it's actually quite ironic because it's about how evil will not prevail because of God's mighty hand. But this is the part that Satan likes. This is the part that Satan likes. Psalm 91, 11 and 12. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Why does he like it? Because this sounds like power. This is a commanding presence, Right? He sees this as like, you have the rights of authority. You can make them do what you want them to do. But right before this, Psalm 91, he must have missed this in his class. Verse 9 and 10, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Right, the right interpretation of Psalm 91 is not command, it's not power, it's submission to God's authority and trusting in Him to be the refuge. This is the point of then God ministering to His people with His heavenly resources. And Jesus does what He models for us. He responds to false teachings with right teaching. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus did not act upon testing God's protection of him. Jumping off the highest place to test if God would indeed save him is not trusting God, uh, not trusting God in his provision and his security that he has. And this testing language was also a, a direct nod, again, a hyperlink back to Israel in their 40 years in the desert where God had been sustaining them with bread from heaven, but now they were thirsty. You can go read this on your own time in Exodus 17. And they actually got to a point where they were so thirsty that they complained this way. 17.3, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? God provided everything for them. And even in that story, God provided water and he provided a place called Massa, which means testing. 
which means testing. And Jesus quotes here back from Deuteronomy 6, and he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Right? They even thought, they got to a point where they thought going back to Egypt would have been better than what God had for them here because of their discomfort, because of their wilderness. But Jesus here is succeeding where Israel had failed. The testing of God was a constant for the ancient Israelites. They constantly were bickering and complaining to go back to slavery to Egypt. Even that sounded better, but it wasn't. Again, another example of where Israel has failed and Jesus did not and he would not. So the devil tries again. Last time, temptation number three, testing number three. Verse eight, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So here, the adversary, he's pulling out all the cards, all the stops, right? He is the prince of this world. And it doesn't seem he really wants to give Jesus all the glory, but he will sacrifice for it if he can just get Jesus to buy into his lies. If he can just show Jesus the quickest and easiest path to glory, maybe he'll take it. But Jesus knows the mission given to him. He knows his identity. He knows the kingdom that he is bringing. And through his life and death, he knows will overcome the kingdoms of this world. But here's why this is a temptation for Jesus. Because acting upon this test would sidestep the cross. He would have the chance to still be king of kings, lord of lords, ruler of the world, but not go through the pain and agony of being crucified and killed on the cross. And just real quick, church, as a, as a human, it's deeply ingrained in our very nature to avoid pain, isn't it? Right? If we have the chance to avoid pain and hurt, we usually take it. But Jesus, modeled in his baptism, knows that the way to usher the kingdom of heaven, to truly become the king who is above all kings, to save the sins of God's people, he's going to have to go through death to bring life. Well, Jesus has had enough. So far, Satan has tempted him to do something for himself, grasp his own power, and now he's asking Jesus to betray the Father and the great rescue plan to do what has plagued humankind ever since the second page of our Bible, to make something or someone else God instead of the one true God. So verse 10, Jesus says to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus demonstrates here his absolute obedience to the call. And quoting Deuteronomy once more in there, he's not giving in to the temptations of the prince of this world. Now, there's a ton to unpack in a lot of that. And we didn't even get into a few things, but there's some things I want to kind of land the plane on. First of all, just sitting in, what a beautiful display of Jesus not giving in to temptation. Like, we, this would not be a good story. If, if it just happened like every other human where they just gave in. You know, they tried. Maybe they did good for a while, but then they just gave in. But the Christ, the anointed one, passed the test. His life on this earth as the anointed one will be the new direction for humans to, to follow him. Our Savior is one who can and did resist the devil. 
Our faith in him should bolster our resolve to withstand temptation and resist giving in. And that right there on a theological and thematic level is pretty great because in just the last two narratives of Jesus, his baptism and temptation, he shows a vision of what the Christ will do, how he will save the people. With baptism, Jesus will bring life through death. And with this success and temptation, he will defeat the evil one. Like right here, before he's taught anything, we can already see this vision of what the Christ will do. Now, on yet another level, not only did he not fail, as Israel did in the desert, but going back to that Garden of Eden language, he did not fail as Adam and Eve did in the garden, so allowing for the introduction of a new way to be human in Christ. There is now finally one who has overcome the father of lies, one who has heard their own heart's desires, but said no to self and yes to God, one who actually is the snake crusher. But did you notice one of the most important parts of this whole story? When the adversary, Satan, tempts Jesus, he begins by saying, if you are the son of God. Why would he say this? Let's revisit Jesus' baptism real quick and look at what was spoken over Jesus. This is the scene of Jesus' baptism. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The Father had bestowed this identity on Jesus, my beloved Son, the Son of God who is loved. Before Jesus does anything, he is given identity in his Father. He is the Son of God. That is meaning, that is purpose, that is who he is at his very core. Before he does or says anything, it has been given to him by the Father. And as he is full of his identity and the Spirit being a witness of his identity, the same Spirit leads him into the desert to test his acceptance of this identity. The testing Satan has for Jesus is not so much wanting Jesus to do something wrong, but wanting Jesus to turn from whom God says he is to doubt his God-given identity, to then remake it in his own image. But we know from the original sin temptation that Satan tempted humans to want to become like God for their own gain. He tempted them to forgo this image that God has given and to create their own. And in the beginning, humans took the bait. The creation tried to become the new creator, and now he's trying that same tactic with Jesus. Because here's how the story looks from Satan's point of view. Here's this Jesus, ambitious, full of hope, trust in his mission, but he's alone in the wilderness. He's hungry and exhausted. This will be easy pickings, right? I'll exploit his exhaustion. I'll spin lies that sound like truth. I'll get him to exercise his own power. And instead of trusting God to provide the bread, the protection, and the glory, then I'll tempt him to instead become like God himself. But the problem is Satan has been used to playing with humans for centuries, and apparently he has not met Jesus yet. Because the other point of view is from Jesus' point of view. Completely known by the Father and his given identity, being led by the Spirit, having the word on his mind and heart, 
because he is the word, knowing he is going into the most intense years of his earthly life, removing distractions by fasting and hungering after God, allowing himself to be completely and utterly who he was with no comparison, no regrets, and no other story to tell but the one God had given him. Jesus is not weak when he is tempted. Jesus is in power in the wilderness. See, where Satan thinks Jesus is vulnerable, he's actually powerful. Where Satan thinks Jesus is actually hungry, he's actually full on the word of God. Where Satan thinks Jesus is here to show his glory by gain, Jesus is preparing to defeat the darkness by losing his life. You see, Jesus is unknown by the devil. Where Satan has excelled in manipulating and stealing humans for his own will since the dawn of time, he could not get Jesus. The real test for Jesus was not whether or not to go over to the devil, but it was whether or not he was going to show commitment and trust in who the Father says he was. And Jesus now has ushered a whole new way to be human, and it looks different than what the prince of the world knows. You see, the more like the world we are, the more the devil knows us because he's the prince of the world. But the more like Jesus we are becoming, the more unknown by evil we become. The temptations of the wicked become folly and undesirable. The lies are seen for what they are and do not gain a foothold. But guys, often the lies sound so good, right? They're wrapped up in truth. And people are especially susceptible to believing the lies when they're in their own wilderness. And many of us, even in the church, are in kind of our own wilderness, This could be a state where you feel isolated, a sense of scarcity, loss, kind of desolate, right? This could describe a season of life where you've had too many hard things back to back and feel like it's hard to recover. A continuing illness, a spiritual emptiness where what once got you excited about God doesn't seem to work anymore. And these are all very real things. And I'll just, for me personally, I'm not like a demon behind every bush kind of kind of preacher, right? Where like everything bad in your life is a spiritual evil that's coming up. This life is hard. There's just hard stuff with being a human. But scripture is clear that we are in a spiritual battle for our souls. And often the wilderness is just the battleground for all that encompassing. And the question is, for as long as God has us in the wilderness on this material earth, will we look more like Jesus here? in his demonstration, or give in to what the devil of this world demands of us. See, Jesus' temptations could be summarized as to satisfy his own needs, use his power and position for gain, and to gain what the world offers. Essentially, create yourself in your own image. But what does Jesus model for his followers? He He demonstrates dying to any recreation of himself in his own image, and instead stands on the identity that was given to him by his father. In times for him of deep desire to self-satisfy, instead Jesus relies on the word of God, Jesus trusts in God to provide and protect, and Jesus worships God and God alone. That is the test. That is the litmus test. Jesus demonstrated dying to the lies by holding on to truth. Jesus is fully living in his identity as a son of God. And church, 
on this side of the cross. This identity is available to us, right? The devil did not just want Jesus to sin. He wanted him to rebel against God like he did, to literally become sin for selfish game and to worship him as the one who provided for him. But the irony of the whole thing is at the end of the journey at the cross, Jesus did become sin, but for righteousness sake, right? Out of worship for God, not worship of self to destroy the power of sin, not hold on to it. And no other person could do this. The Apostle Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And if you believe that, then hearing what the writer James has to say, in reality, James 4.7, he says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's incredible power made available to you and to I right now to resist the devil. But listen, it's not just a willpower thing, right? Resistance doesn't start with just like scripture memorization or fasting or doing all the spiritual push ups you can. It comes with first knowing your identity in God. Look again at James 4. Can you put that back up there? It's not just resist the devil, it's submit yourselves to God. Submit yourselves to seeing God as creator and sustainer of all things. Submit to his word being the truth that you hold on to. Submit to his son, Jesus Christ, as the savior of the world. Submit means die to being remade in your own image and live fully and freely in who God made you to be. That is what it means to first resist the devil. And submitting to God is when the Spirit comes to rest and reside within us. And it's the Spirit that leads and guides and brings to mind all that Jesus teaches and has demonstrated and modeled for his followers. The Spirit guarantees this new identity in us. And I want to read for you from the Gospel John. I think he helps us see this true identity here. John 1, 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Sons and daughters of God. This is who we are if you believe in the Christ. When, you, when we respond today, that's how we respond. It's so healthy to confess sins, to profess our love for God, to do all the spiritual push-ups we absolutely can, but we have to stay rooted in the love that the Father has for his children, that for us. The devil will not flee from you or I based on our own merit or self-righteousness. He wants us to believe that. But the identity we have in Christ today for all who believe is that a son and daughter of God. And we get to live in the freedom of that blessing today to be that blessing to the world and share in the spreading of the light in that darkness. So I just want to just connect with you guys real quick. If, if you're in a wilderness season today, if you identify with that, whether it's words I said or it's something your own, you're going through, and you just feel like a desolate place in the wilderness. No, you're A, you're in good company. 
All of God's people <laughs> went through the wilderness. Jesus himself went through the wilderness. But just to read back in, into that John 1, there is a light. There is a light that came into that world. Jesus is with you on that journey. See, Jesus is the word. When you're hit with lies, when you're overwhelmed with strong negative emotions or harmful thoughts, Jesus says it's the truth that will set you free. Jesus still had to go through temptation. Being a follower of Jesus will not keep you from going through that. But you follow one who resisted because of truth. Jesus embodied the truth that he spoke because the truth is the word and the word was made flesh in Jesus. So when you speak the word, the truth at lies today, you're putting Jesus as your strength in your wilderness. When you believe the word, you're putting your faith in one who can resist the devil and call you into something so much greater. When you rely on the word for your identity, then you are, that you are a son or daughter of God, then you are identifying with Jesus Christ and the new creation he has begun for his followers. The new creation that is built on nothing short of Jesus making all things new. Amen? Amen.